0: The paradigm for all of this, of course, is the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola. You know, he himself had a very important experience over 30 days in this place, Manresa, and he learned enormous amount from that, and he wanted to help people, so he wrote it up in, in exercises that he could give to people. To help them. So the paradigm is there, and already you have a conversation taking place between the person giving the exercises and the person receiving them. And it is an ongoing conversation that's taking place during the course of the 30 day retreat. But also, it's facilitating a conversation between the one receiving the exercises and God. Yeah, there's sort
1: of three people there.
0: Three people in the conversation, exactly. And the one res- giving the exercises has to be listening out to the conversation between God and the one receiving the exercises all the time. The focus is not the conversation between the two of them. In fact, Ignatius will say in the exercises that you need to have the discretion to withdraw, to let the creator deal directly with the creature, he says. When the moment is right, because that is the most important conversation that's going on in the exercises. He would call that uh, colloquy. It's a special word.
1: Yeah, I love that word, the colloquy, yeah.
0: I love it too because it gives us permission to be to be have this parisia, mm-hmm. to be totally ourselves in prayer before God. So I love the, the, the notion of parisia in prayer. So Ignatius will use words like, I'll pour out my soul before him, I will speak my truth, whatever it is. It could be tears of repentance. You know, I'm really sorry for something or for many things. Or it could be tears of joy, you know, that I I, I just know that God is so close and I'm full of joy and full of gratitude. Whatever it is that I
1: pour. Tears of anger, even.
0: Tears. Yes, indeed. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know,
1: if you're really yeah. angry about something that you can Take it to God, because Absolutely. very often people we think well i'll get over the anger and then I'll go and get reconciled, and then I 'll talk to God about it, but that's not yeah. what Ignatius is saying
0: not at all because i uh, you know a relationship has to be real if it's authentic, you know so if that is the the mood it's very healthy to express it. I think Ignatius would encourage that you know to as well as of course you know he's very he does emphasize a kind of a again humility comes in here uh, a deep respect in prayer for god and you know like uh, there are a lot of little additional exercises you know where he inculcates that or or encourages it i will before i go into my place of prayer raise my mind and heart to god to i'm in a special place i'm in a sacred place and then i will imagine him looking at me and so he sets the scene for something very special. And uh, that kind of prepares the way for a very real relationship, sort of like uh, the beginning, the context. Yeah.
1: And for Ignatius, who had some very significant experiences of God, one of those that strikes me and that is mentioned is the, the power of grace. At the end of it all, you can do the listening, the parhasia the attunement, but he himself has also says the action is God's.
0: Oh, yes. And there's a, there's a lovely part in his autobiography where he himself was struggling with scruples, so much so that it was driving him to, to insanity and also almost drove him to uh, suicide. He couldn't simply just get over it. And um, I'm trying to find a text here number 25 of the autobiography, where he he has resolved the problem. He is no longer burdened by this horrible scrupulosity and uh, he's been liberated from it. And this is what he says. I might read the paragraph if I may. But at the end of these thoughts, there came to him some feelings of disgust for the life he was leading and some impulses to cease from it. And with this, the Lord willed that he woke up as if from sleep. And since he now had some experience of the difference in kind of spirits through the lessons God had given him, he began to mull over the means through which that spirit had come. As a result, he decided with great clarity not to confess anything from the past anymore. Thus, from that day onward, he remained free of those scruples, holding it for certain, this is the key thing, holding it for certain that our Lord in his mercy had willed to liberate him. That's grace. Even though other people were encouraging him still to go to confession and all that kind of thing, he said he knew deep down in his heart and mind that that was past and that was grace. He attributed it to grace. In another place, I don't know where it is, I think it's in a letter. He talks about how much of an obstacle he is in everything.
1: Yes, the letter to Francesca Borgia, is it?
0: Borgia, was Borsa, it? Borsa, yes, yeah. which is a bit of a kind of a rap on the knuckles to yeah. Borgia, you know. <laughs> and he's, he's really exalting Ignatius. But Ignatius says, well, actually, this is humility again. You know, I said, I'm just an obstacle, so much an obstacle. And he said, it convinces me that ultimately it's all God's work. Yeah. All God's achievements. It's not so you can see his his humility. It doesn't mean that he does nothing, but like he goes on and he does everything, but he kinda knows there's another hand at work behind it.
1: And that yeah. leads to another concept which sometimes people find difficult, but it is also part of the spiritual conversation as envisaged by Ignatius, which is indifference. Now yes. obviously we use the word indifference in a very different way today. But it's a very interesting concept linked into humility and linked into grace, isn't it?
0: It is indeed. And it it really, the best translation of it might be interior freedom. I mean, the image that Ignatius uses is like a balance at equilibrium. I'm neither drawn, attached, you might say, to one particular way or to another, but somehow I'm balanced. That's indifference. It's freedom. My one intention is, what does God want here from me? Now, that's not a magical formula, you know, kind of, I'm just going to wait and see what God wants. It's more discovering it through his reasoning, through his attention to his own inner movements, his desires, even his attachments. And all of those things, weighing them up, you know, gradually, but trying to find ultimately what is the good way forward here. And so that's indifference. It's, it's that balance.
1: And yeah. you mentioned at the beginning that this was looking at the Ignatian legacy of spiritual conversation viewed through the 21st century eyes. If there's one person who embodies that today, it's Pope Francis. And the whole synodal process, the emphasis on listening and the emphasis on parhesia. Yeah. Uh, is that correct?
0: Absolutely, indeed. And you can see that Pope Francis is very Ignatian, in his approach to many things, the whole emphasis on the discernment of spirits. And also going back to the deliberation of the First Fathers, which was a communal discernment, where these young men at the time, young companions, they were companions of Saint Ignatius. They knew that they had a, some special charism calling, but it hadn't any structure yet. They had a spirit or a charism, but they hadn't any structure. And they had to deliberate or discern what would that structure be? It ultimately ended up being the Society of Jesus, you know, approved by the Pope and so on. So Pope Francis um, is encouraging the whole church as a way of being and a way of going forward to exercise this communal discernment using some of the, I suppose, the wisdom of Saint Ignatius. It does mean speaking one's truth. He's very encouraging, you know, not to be kind of wondering what's the Pope going to think or the Cardinals or the Bishops. (laughs) He can be very funny on that. He says, speak it out and we'll hear you. And then he said, that's very healthy. Even if it causes disturbance, that doesn't bother him because even in the exercises, you'll see that if there are doldrums, there's no movement. It's better that there is conflict and disturbance and of spirits because that means there's something happening. There's growth taking place. So he's not afraid of that. So speaking one's truth, but also being able to listen to difference. You know, you may not agree, but you may listen to what the other is saying. But there's a deeper listening also. And I think there's a lot to be learned around the synodal way. It's not automatic. It's not easy. But there's a listening to the spirit also. You know, I mean, that's the early companions were listening to. What is the Holy Spirit saying? How is he moving us, drawing us? Where are we being And it's quite a challenge. Can you imagine the whole church involved in this process of trying to see where we are being led? But again, it does require a very humble church, which is not saying we have all the answers. Unfortunately, then there are camps created where people say, well, we do have the answers and we stop listening. And, you know, that can be either on the progressive side or on the conservative side. We know the way and (laughs) so there's no longer an openness to the spirit speaking. So it's actually a very profound call to conversion. And Pope Francis emphasises that conversion aspect of the synodal process.
1: So spiritual conversation has developed and is alive and well today in the global church which has really participated in for the first time ever a global process of spiritual listening through the Senate.
0: yeah Absolutely. I mean, we're entering into a new phase in the Church's way of being and way of proceeding. I mean, the way was open already with Vatican II, which is a radical movement forward. It opened out, for example, to Christians, non-Catholic Christians, to people of other faiths that God is working and all that. You can already see a widening of its perspective. It set up the Synod of Bishops, which was an attempt to be more consultative within the Church, not a top-down, hierarchy hierarchical kind of structure. And now we're moving into a synodal process which involves the whole people of God, that there is the communio, uh, is the word that they would use, a kind of together with the Pope and the bishops and, and, and so on, together as a church, seeking a way forward, you know, all listening to one another. These are very, very good description of it in the scriptures in Acts 15, and I would recommend is Jesse Rogers, who is the dean of theology. I think Dana Manuth, who has written this wonderful exegesis or interpretation of Acts fifteen, which describes in the early church this synodal process taking place, and it's beautiful to see the final result is consensus. That's what you're working towards—a consensus which brought great joy to the whole community. We have found consensus. We, we, we now have clarity, and this is the way we move forward. Now, that can take quite a bit of time. And uh, you see in Acts 15 that there were factions, there were disagreements, and then there was a consultative process, and there was a debate. But at the end of the day, consensus emerged, which is a gift also of the Spirit. you are talking about grace. We're seeking a grace that helps us to remain one united and then to move forward with joy and with confidence it's a beautiful method requiring a great deal of christian maturity something that we probably all have to kind of work at and learn i guess but i find it very exciting as a way forward